0: Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up.
1: Sorry we don't have a good martini for you today. However, uh, we do have two martinis devoted to the most important story of the day, and that's the latest inflation report. So... Let's not put it off any longer. We knew it wasn't going to be good when the press secretary, uh, Corinne Jean-Pierre, was saying, "Inflation reports—that's backwards-looking data." Let's let's not focus on that. And then Biden, of course, is in Israel today. So those are two factors uh, where you know they don't want to spend a lot of time talking about this subject. But uh, today's the day we got the June inflation numbers. The expectations were around eight and a half to eight point eight percent year over year over the last 12 months. It's even worse. Rick Santelli, CNBC.
0: And if we look at year over year, this is really hot, up 9.1%, well above the 8.8 we're expecting. And 9.1% puts you at 1981 because 1981 covered 8.9 all the way up to 11%. And finally, the year over year core, which is becoming much more important to the Fed, up 5.9, also higher than expected.
1: And over at CNN, Jim, uh, they're looking at uh, where we're feeling the punch of inflation. And the bottom line is uh, everywhere.
0: When we look at, guys, where we're seeing the largest increases, it's broad-based, gasoline, shelter, food being the largest contributors. Certainly a confirmation of what a lot of us consumers know is that inflation is rampant. It is pretty much everywhere these days. And this report suggesting that...
1: So, yeah, other than food and energy and shelter, Jim, uh, things might be looking uh, slightly better. So we knew it wasn't going to be good. It's worse than we thought. It's the worst again in more than 40 years.
0: Yeah. And, you know, you look at like a bad inflation report by itself is bad news for an administration, bad news for American consumers, etc. But it's yeah, I just feel like it's easy to forget how many consecutive months we've had. And then I went back I'd say October of last year's when, when you got above 6 percent. Uh, in the monthly consumer price index number, like, whoa, that, that was, you know, that, that was the story of that made me say, wow, this is really high by historical patterns. Well, since that October, it's gone 6.2, 6.8, 7, 7.4, 7.8, 8.5, 8.2, 8.6, and now 9.1. Those are pretty good Olympic scores. <laughs> Those are really bad on the, on the Richter scale but they're really really bad when they're inflation and several times over this you know bout we've been enduring we hear well it looks bad but i think it's peaking i think it's peaking right now in fact back in january uh uh biden said yeah yeah i think it's i think it's peaking this is of course after he said that it would be transitory it would be temporary and it wouldn't be much of an issue well here we are and i think one of the things that's really bothersome is you notice you know, we, we can scoff at economists, we can scoff at analysts. Hey, they get stuff wrong all the time. But I, I feel like I've sensed and noticed that analysts keep I don't want to say they get more pessimistic. They, they start they're, they're edging up their assessments of what they think the coming months numbers are going to be. And so looking at this one so last month was eight point six percent. This, you know, heading into this one, I looked around at various, you know, Wall Street publications and people who really, you know, crunch these numbers and try to come up with the calculations for the best projections. By the way, I should emphasize for Karine Jim Jean Pierre's statement, this is backward-looking data. All data is backward-looking data. That's what makes it data, right? If it's t- if it's forward-looking, that's a projection. You're you're guessing as what's going to happen. It hasn't happened yet. I feel like we need Doc Brown here to come out and explain the past, the present, and the future and what, you know. But uh this you know that you look at this and you're like so okay so yesterday they were projecting 8.8 8. one of them had an 8.7 and that would still be again the highest in 40 years right so the mall street is looking at this and saying okay it's going to be bad it's going to be really bad but we think we we think we've been sufficiently pessimistic and then the numbers come out and it's even worse and it's not just worse by like one tenth of a percentage point it's worse than three tenths of a percentage point and it keeps getting worse you know um it, it is just i and that's the other thing that kind of jumps out about this is that you know several times over this past couple of weeks in this podcast we've been talking about the midterms we're talking about is this going to you know how much is the overturning of roe v wade going to change this how much is the issue of gun control and mass shootings going to change the overall political dynamic uh what what is the january 6th committee doing and stuff like that i, I look, you look at these numbers Inflation is going to be the number one issue in voters' minds, certainly the number one issue in voters' minds right now. And as I was you know, saying, leading into today's numbers, we didn't know exactly what they were going to be, but they knew we knew they were not going to be good. We know next month is not going to be that good. We know the month after that is probably not going to be that good. You know, in, taming inflation is always very difficult. And you can periodically find the Jim Shooters of the world who go out and say, oh, it took a breather because it went down a couple of tenths of a percentage point it was still among you know the second highest in 40 years. So you add all this up, you know, I hate to tell you this because there's not a lot of relief on the horizon and the administration and a whole bunch of people are just going to tell you, "Oh, don't worry, it's going to get better, it's going to get better." So far there's very little sign that these rate hikes from the Fed are doing, you know, having the impact that they want. And we're going to have to wait to see another month to see if there's even any pro- you know, if there's any progress at all to at least we can point to, "Okay, inflation has peaked." Right now, it has yet to peak.
1: Yeah, not a, good, not a good sign at all. And uh, we're going to get Biden's very weak reaction to it in our second martini here. Jim, I am not an economist, and so I'm reticent to, to tread on, on their expert territory. But can I suggest a terminology change? Everyone's saying today that because it came in higher than expectations, that inflation is hot. I feel like I'm getting my yeah. economic analysis from Paris Hilton. I feel like that needs to change.
0: It's... Um It's Zoolander. Inflation is so hot right now. (laughs) I mean, the headline on today's Morning Jolt is inflation is a five alarm fire that is burning down the American economy. So in that sense, it is hot. Yes. But uh, hot in the sense of molten lava that will burn you. But not hot in the wow, that's so hot. (laughs) Right.
1: All right. Well, let's talk about something uh, better than that, Uh, especially if you uh, need some help with uh, keeping that hair on your head. Look, you don't have to choose between better hair growth and your health. There's now a holistic solution for men that promotes both healthier hair and whole body wellness. So get ahead of thinning hair with Nutrafol's whole body approach to hair growth. No drugs, no compromises.
0: Greg, having a full head of hair is hot, almost as hot as the inflation rate these days. (laughs) Yes, there you go. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement, clinically shown to improve your hair growth, thickness and visible scalp coverage. Their nutraceuticals go beyond genetics to multi-target the root causes of thinning hair, including stress, hormones, nutrition, metabolism, aging and lifestyle through whole body health. In a clinical study, men showed progressive improvement in hair growth and thickness after three months and six months. And Nutrafol is trusted and recommended by more than three thousand top doctors.
1: You can grow thicker, healthier hair and support the Three Martini Lunch by going to nutrafol.com/men and entering the promo code Martini to save fifteen dollars off your first month subscription. This is their best offer anywhere, and it's only available to U.S. customers for a limited time. Plus free shipping on every order. So get $15 off at Nutrafol.com slash men, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L dot com slash men, promo code Martini.
0: The Supreme Court's decision reigning in the EPA might
1: be the most critical Supreme Court decision of the year. I'm Bill Walton. On the latest edition of The Bill Walton Show, John Vecchioni and Casey Norman of the new Civil Liberties Alliance join me to explain the ruling and long-term impact it may have in our fight against the administrative state. Join me. Follow The Bill Walton Show at Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Jim, on to our second bad martini now. And President Biden knew this was coming. We talked about Corinne Jean-Pierre's reaction, and uh, Biden himself... Well, somebody on his staff has tweeted this out. But he got to Israel and said, uh, basically, that the report was old news. His Twitter thread today says, Today's report is a reminder that inflation is too high. Fighting inflation is my top economic priority. And while the numbers today are not acceptable, they are also outdated. In the past 30 days, the average price of gas has dropped by 40 cents a gallon. That's breathing room for American families. But oil prices have come down $20 a barrel, while gas at the pump has only come down 40 cents. Oil and gas companies must pass these lower costs on to consumers. Lastly, annual core inflation is down for the third month in a row. To lower inflation more without giving up the economic gains we've achieved, Congress must act now. They must work to reduce the cost of everyday expenses for working families. Send legislation to my desk. I have no idea how he thinks Congress can pass legislation to bring down inflation because usually his his, uh, legislation involves massive spending, which thankfully Joe Manchin has said now this latest report is another bucket of cold water on more spending. But uh, what do you make of uh, Joe Biden trying to do his best uh, Ben Kenobi impression here and saying these are not the inflation numbers you think they are?
0: Yeah, look, first of all, there, there isn't, I mean, my attitude would be if there's not really any good way to spin the numbers. Then don't spin the numbers and don't pretend that things are better than they are yes you know right now i'm looking at the aaa gas prices national average and it says it's four dollars and 63 cents and around mid-june we were at 501 so yeah you know that's that's nearly down 40 cents that's not so bad the problem is is that like, like a 40 cent drop from like 220 to 180. you might be like wow hey gas is pretty cheap these days at 463 no one's saying gas is cheap these days people are saying gas is slightly less exorbitant than it used to be i'd rather pay 463 than 501 but you know at the end you're you still are paying way more than you're used to paying for your gas to fill up your tank every week or every two weeks or however often you decide to do that um the other comment that kind of got to me is is you know they go, oh these numbers are outdated well look you know the consumer price index gets updated once a month and it takes them a while. They collect the data throughout the month. In this case, from June 1st to June 30th, it takes them a little dime to collect it, crunch the numbers, sort it out by different industry and category. And then they come out usually uh, you know, the second Wednesday of the month. It's going to be the second Wednesday of next month. It's going to be the next Wednesday. Of, it's it's going to be that same always. So when you say it's outdated, I mean, President Biden, just how much do you think the state of the U.S. economy changed Today, July 13th, compared to June 30th. Yeah. Yeah, it could have changed. Yeah, yeah the gas price did come down a little, but you, does it, does it, does, you know, listeners, I put it to you. Do you feel like the economy is dramatically different now than it was two weeks ago? As you were heading into Fourth of July weekend, we're like, oh my God, things are terrible. But you woke up this morning and like, wow, things are great now. Come on. This is, it's not just this is spin. This is dumb spin. This is desperate spin. This is like, you know, as you mentioned that the idea of the Jedi mind trick, this is this, you know, as I laid out in today's Morning Jolt, we're always having to insist to the administration that something is a problem. The Afghan army is in really deep trouble. The Taliban looks really strong. The Iranian regime does not look like they want to negotiate to get rid of their nuclear weapons. You could just pile these up. And this Biden administration, oh, no, that's fine. Yeah. It's a seasonal surge at the border. It's nothing out of the ordinary. Oh, the economy never been stronger. They just keep going, do this. And we have to spend, at minimum, a couple months convincing the administration that a problem is really a problem. And then by the time they actually do address it, the problem has gotten much worse. Um, I I wrote in today's jolt, I feel like this really goes back to Joe Biden being um, a a deeply insecure man, which he probably shouldn't be because, you know, know, being a senator is an accomplishment. Um, Being a vice president is an accomplishment. You'd like to think at some point he wouldn't have this deep-rooted need to insist that he's always right and he wouldn't be so terrified of ever admitting that he got something wrong you'd like to think he'd grown past that guy who when asked about his his law school education back in 88 says i think i have a much higher iq than you do you know but i went back and i checked and it it was kind of at the heart of his uh exchange with that voter in new hampshire where he said you know you're a lying dog-faced pony soldier you know this she said, "You know, you you just did really badly in, in Iowa. Why should we have faith that you're going to be able to turn it around?" And she, she, Biden's first response is, have you ever been to a caucus?" And the woman said, "Yes, I have." And he's like, "No, you haven't. You're a lying dog." It was this, you know, this this defensive, prickly um, kind of a "How dare you question me? How dare you doubt me?" attitude. And it's you know, this like there are a lot of jobs that's not good to be that have those traits. The presidency is a really bad job to have those traits. You know, the president insisted for a long time inflation was transitory. It's not. It's really bad. Get past this. You're not going to be able to convince us. Oh, well, you know, yeah, inflation was really high 13 days ago, but it's better now. You know, oh, gas was expensive two weeks ago, but now I'm fine. No, come on. This is just flailing. And it's just, you know, uh, we've talked in the past about the idea that the Biden team is the Obama E team, right? That the Obama worked through the A team, the B team, the C team, the D team. I've heard more people since I wrote that come out and say things like, Jim, you don't know how it is. They've got all these woke 20-somethings working for them. They've got all these folks who they're working in the White House, and it's not their first job, but they really haven't been in the workforce and in politics and in communications and in all this stuff nearly as long as you think they would. Actually, this White House has a tougher you know, There's a labor shortage everywhere. Apparently, even the White House is having a harder time getting people to do The kinds of jobs they usually do now you figure the white house would always be you know have tons of applicants and that they'd always have the cream of the crop i've heard some people arguing that's not the case with the biden team and that they really are turning in subpar efforts on a variety of fronts and when you see really desperate spin like this i start to believe it craig
1: yeah, no, it's absurd. And of course, he blames Putin for inflation and gas prices going up. But the second they trickle down, he claims credit for them when really all he's done is release uh, reserves from the Strategic Petroleum Reserves, which are getting uh, concerningly low. Add to the
0: backlog in front of the refineries. <laughs> yes, exactly
1: right. You know He talks about the prices going down. The reason they're going down is, A, as you mentioned just a couple days ago, demand is down. Uh, we've gone past the peak of the summer driving season, probably. And also, investors believe a recession is coming, so they're pessimistic on oil right now. But meanwhile, Bloomberg reporting, despite recession fears, several energy administrations agree that supply tightness is set to worsen. So guess what? Uh, If you thought they were going back under four anytime soon, uh, that doesn't sound real optimistic to me. But uh, at least they do realize, Jim, that uh, having gas in the tank is important. And if people can't afford gas, they at least need to get to work. I feel like that's not that hard to explain. Yet here's how the vice president did it today. Together, we are expanding access to transportation. Seems like maybe it's a small issue. It's a big issue. You need to get to go. I need to be able to get where you need to go to do the work and get home. Jim, it's a simple sentence, but uh, apparently
0: that's asking too much for her these days. <laughs> we need to get to go to go to where we need to get. You know, this something vaguely, you know, Bill Cosby, shall, you, know, sell, you, know, you need to get to go to go where you need to get. I realize we're not allowed to cite Bill Cosby anymore, but that seems like the sort of thing he would say. Um, yeah, like, like and when you talk about like, you know, the the reduction in demand okay maybe some folks are going to choose not to make their cross-country trip that they make maybe people won't drive to florida disneyland you know like people will be depressed you know sad about it depressed about it frustrated about it but that's you know all right that part of the use of gasoline is elastic other parts aren't right you know unless you're uh living within uh, a Bogota, as jill biden would put it (laughs) Uh, what I mean is a bodega, you know, some sort of like, you know, little, you know, corner store that can get you your groceries. Chances are you got to drive to the grocery store. If you got a family, chances are you probably drive either a minivan or SUV or light SUV or truck or something like that. You, you generally aren't driving a, you know, one of those tiny smart cars or something like that. So like you just, there's, you know, living your life requires gasoline and it requires you to be able to get around. And it's, you know, um, you know the public transportation, if people like it and it works, it's great, but... Public transportation usually doesn't it works for, you know, densely packed urban areas. Lots of Americans live on suburbs where, you know, you got to walk to, to the uh, uh, the bus stop or something or the light rail station or, or things like that. So it's just, you know, there's this again. The other thing is, when's the last time Kamala Harris used public transportation? <laughs> Does the Senate subway count? Uh, really stretching it. But yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that's probably about it. Uh, hey, remember George W. Bush's classic line of. Um, fool me once shame on shame on you
0: fool me you can't fool us again that's kamala harris every day yeah i don't i don't see you know what you know i don't see will farrell uh putting her front and center no no it was a very uh very generous depiction on saturday night live etc anyway
1: (laughs) All right, let's uh, talk about our next uh, sponsor here, and that is NetChoice. Our country is being rocked by soaring inflation, in case you weren't paying attention for the first two martinis, lackluster leadership, ditto, and chaos on the world stage. Americans need their legislators to focus on the issues that matter and ease the economic pain we are all feeling.
0: Instead, senators like Amy Klobuchar are pushing a big government takeover of America's tech industry through progressive regulations that would worsen inflation and make important digital services like Amazon Prime more expensive and harder to use. Conservatives must block progressive pet projects that will raise prices and undermine our world's standing. These lawmakers need to keep American innovation the best in the world.
1: NetChoice wants you to join it in telling Congress to stop rising prices and reject progressive tech regulations like Senate Resolution 2992. To learn more about this fight and send a letter to your representatives, go to netchoice.org 2992. This message was brought to you by NetChoice. If we've learned anything from the 2020 election, it's that while the process of counting electoral votes is straightforward, the rules outlined in the Electoral Count Act of 1887 are vague and antiquated. There shouldn't have been any question about whether the vice president could or should have changed the election results. Imagine the next election full of questions about vote irregularities, debates, and recounts of key state votes, except this time it's Vice President Harris being urged to interpret her role in the process, is one where she has the right to determine which electoral votes count. Why? Because the Electoral Count Act is too ambiguous. This is why the Presidential Election Project aims to clearly define the role of the vice president and ensure that the role is beyond question. The project urges you to sign up for more information about why reform of the Electoral Count Act is so important. Go to presidentialelectionproject.com to take the first step in learning more. That's presidentialelectionproject.com. All right, Jim, on to our third martini. And again, still not good. Uh, You would think with Joe Biden's poll numbers, depending on the survey, anywhere from the very low 40s to flatlining in the low 30s, Uh, And inflation numbers at highest levels since the early 1980s and gas prices at record levels, or very recently were at record levels. Um, The border and crisis, you would think that the Republicans are in a phenomenal position to do very well in the midterms. And they probably still are, especially when you factor in redistricting uh, that Republicans did pretty aggressively in Florida and some other states. The odds are that the Republicans will certainly take the House. I think the Senate is a uh, dicier proposition, uh, given who's potentially going to win some of these primaries. But uh, the latest concerning note here comes from a new poll out from Politico and Morning Consult, which found that 46% of respondents say that they're going to vote for the Democrat in their congressional race, and only 42% uh, said they would vote for the Republican. Now, these surveys generally tilt towards the Democrats and according to uh, the hot air uh, analysis of this from Ed Morrissey uh, political morning consult tends to tip in that direction even more than other surveys so it's not it's not panic time Jim but we had seen some generic ballots showing Republicans not only ahead but ahead fairly comfortably earlier so I don't know if um, some of these issues like abortion got the Democratic base a little more fired up than they would have been otherwise but uh, in the end it looks like uh, there's going to be at least a tougher uh, road to a majority than we thought a little while ago.
0: Yeah, I mean, the first thought is that we've seen this before in 2010 and 2012 where Republicans had a bunch of uh, Senate races in usually friendly territory or you know, red or purple states, states where they felt like they had a decent shot and fell short. And you could put some of that on, you know, maybe Mitt, actually I think Mitt Romney overperformed a bunch of these candidates in some of those states back in the 2012 year. In 2010, you know the Christine O'Donnells, the Sharon Angles. Sometimes you just choose the wrong candidate, and it's just not someone who is sufficiently appealing to the electorate as, at large. And a Democrat who's vulnerable, um, like Harry Reid, manages to hang on, and then we end up with a catchphrase on our podcast for years to come. <laughs> way to go, Nevada! Way to go! Way to go! Um, in this case, I, I think that you know there's reasonable concern about this. I think Dr. Oz is severely underperforming the typical baseline level support for a Republican in Pennsylvania. I think Herschel Walker has a what should be a pretty slam dunk situation. If you believe the civics poll, Joe Biden's approval rating is at 25 percent in Georgia. And yet most of the polling has him pretty close to Warnock. There was one that had him up by two points, which is better than the alternative. But it's been a while since we've seen polls that had Herschel Walker well ahead. Um, And you can point to a couple other cases where uh, Senate races where Republicans appear to be likely botching it. You know, one poll on the generic ballot probably shouldn't have Republicans freaking out, but it is kind of that uh, a little bit of ominous music in the background, a sign that maybe this is going to fall apart. And what I think that would indicate is I think I think in a very strange way, it's become so bad for the situation. The circumstances for Joe Biden is so bad. It's such a failing presidency. He's such a bad communicator. He's so gaff prone. As we just discussed, his, his spin is so lame. The economic conditions are so bad that, as we've seen in polling numbers, even Democrats are starting to say, I can't defend this guy. I can't. I can't pretend things are going well. I can't say the president's doing a good job. I can't say the administration policies are working. And it gets so bad that Democrats start to be liberated to say this more openly and that maybe he becomes less of a dead weight in the sense that, you know, Democrats are throwing him overboard. They don't you know, they're not going to waste any energy trying to tell voters things are going fine. So the interesting question would be, can Democrats pose as Biden critics? In many cases, there'll be critics from the left. But in other words, they won't be you know backed into this desperate corner of insisting that an inflation rate of 9.1 means is just fine. And, and stop winding America. Um, that idea, I'm starting to start to kind of think one, this makes it almost extremely. I think with each passing month, it becomes less and less likely that Biden's going to be the nominee in 2024. And I also think with each passing month, any Democrats, congressional Democrats' sense of obligation to defend him gets less and less. And, and they just you know reach a point where they're comfortable moving on. And this means running in their districts and running their states and echoing the sense, yeah, things are really terrible. And that's why I want to pass this that and the other thing. Um, and not saying, no, no, don't worry, the president's got this under control. So I don't know how much that will mitigate things, but I think that's my best explanation if we see a bit of a turnaround is that Democrats may well be able to do something that's almost been extremely hard to do in politics, which is overperform the president's job approval rating. Because if genuine, if Biden's job approval rating really is 33% across the country, and if he really is at 25% in states that Democrats need to do well in, like Georgia, then Katie bar the door, it's all over, it's going to be demolishing, and you're going to see Democrats losing who never uh, expected to, to lose this. But if this poll indication is, is a sign of some sort of change there, Maybe Democrats really are separating themselves from Biden, and uh, that would be a you know a a more challenging environment for the typical Republican candidate.
1: I think it's going to be hard to get away with that, though. I'm mostly concerned about the House. I think that should be almost um, I don't say automatic, but it should be very winnable uh, for the. Yeah, Republicans. you only need a handful
0: of seats, you know, compared to the usual year.
1: Exactly, and so even if uh, the Senate were to somehow slip away, at least you've got that bulwark. Uh, uh, sorry, don't mean to give any credit to the bulwark, but uh, you've at least got that defense against the Biden agenda and whatever the, the Dems want to do in the Senate. And so uh, another oddity in this poll is that it only uh, samples 22 percent of independents. And uh, Ed's saying that's way too low. And I guarantee you the Dems are not plus four among independents right now. So uh could be, could be skewed in some ways. But, you know, if if, it, if if there is a silver lining here and we can twist it into a partial good martini, uh, hopefully it means that Republicans and their Staffs and their campaign volunteers don't get complacent. Uh, They sprint Mm -hmm. all the way through the tape. They stay disciplined uh, and they uh, can hang that Biden record around every Democrat on the ballot right now because that's exactly what they should be doing.
0: Yeah. I mean, even if the generic numbers were looking, you know, look good for Republicans, you don't want Republican candidates to be lackadaisical or to count on the political, national political environment to carry them to victory. You'd like to see everybody campaigning as well as they possibly can, you know, hammering them as much as they can. Uh, trying to get every last vote, earn every last vote. And, uh, you know, hopefully that will be the case. But uh, still 117 days between now and Election Day, Greg. Yeah, exactly. Economy,
1: border, schools, crime. Stay on those four issues. I think you're going to do very well, Republicans. So, Jim, have a great day. See you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Uh, do subscribe to the podcast if you don't already, and please tell a friend about us as well. Uh, we are very grateful for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Please keep those coming. Also, you can get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play 3 Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Wednesday, and please join us again on Thursday for the next 3 Martini Lunch. <music>
0: This week on the Federalist Radio Hour. The pandemic was a sort of, there's an opening to talk to folks on the left about the administrative state when the vaccine mandate was authorized through an obscure clause in OSHA's emergency powers. OSHA was signed into law by President Richard Nixon, um, which actually also reminds me of another thing Richard Nixon signed, which was Title IX. I'm Emily Jashinsky of The Federalist. Subscribe to The Federalist on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.